morning, church. Good to be with you guys. Uh, for all of you checking your watch right now, going, wait a minute, where's my worship? Uh, it's coming. We're going to worship a ton on the back end, certainly as we lean into some of our texts today. My hope is that we could respond in a worship and a reverent uh, time with the Lord. And uh, so let me just put you all at ease. If any of you ever think I'm going to talk for an hour and 10 minutes, you are. No one will listen to me for that long. So I, I will always... the. Uh, I mean, stretch this out. Uh, we're going to get to it in the end, but it's going to be a sweet time for us to enjoy uh, the Lord together. And uh, I want to welcome all of you at the chapel. Good to have you guys, all of you online. Uh, certainly all of you at Cactus. Welcome to have uh, you guys joining us here. I want to tell a quick shout out to the Cactus crew. I know you had a couple of weeks off because your parking lot was a mess. I need you to know how much my friend Rick Holman loves you guys. Uh, there was a week where it was just dirt parking lot out there and he went and bought a bunch of bags of flour from the store and went out there and shook the flour out to make your parking lot lines because he wanted to gather with you as a family. He, there's nothing that Rick will not do uh, for the Cactus Crew, which is why he's such a great pastor and such a great friend. And hey, you guys can clap for him here. Uh, I'm sure Jamie would do the same for all of you. Uh, but I know Rick did that. I just want to thank him. And to my family up north, good to have you guys joining us. Uh, you guys know we're throwing a big party on the 24th for the whole community. Thank you guys for responding last week to the challenges put out there. All I'm going to ask of my Northridge family today is as you get ready to leave campus today and as you head out of the parking lot, would you just pray for every family at Desert Sun Academy, that school right next to us, would you just pray that the gospel would go out to them, that they would show up, that they would see the love of Christ on display at the fall festival, and that God would use that night to grab hearts of families and little ones uh, for his kingdom. So start praying that now as we rally that family together to do great stuff. I uh, appreciate that from you guys. Uh, for the rest of us, we are gonna roll into our third commandment. We're in the 10 Commandments series. And you heard the third commandment already, already sounded out here. Uh, but before we dive into that, let me go back. Let me take you guys back to the year. The year was 2007. I was a spry 28-year-old, far thinner than I am now. And uh, it was the height of the Phoenix Suns seven seconds or less era. Mike D'Antoni was the coach. We had the greatest point guard in the league. And Steve Nash, we had this young stud named Amari Stoudemire, who was maybe the greatest player of the year that year. We had great role players. And we won more games than any other team in the league. And we were poised to win our first ever NBA championship. There was no one in our way except one familiar foe. The Cardinals have the Seahawks. The Diamondbacks have everybody this year, but it's usually the, the Dodgers. And the Suns at this time had the dreaded San Antonio Spurs. And it was a showdown between us and the Spurs. Everybody knew whoever won that series was most likely going to go on to win the NBA championship. And one of these games, we were blowing the Spurs out because we were that much better than them. And they were, they were not that good. And so we were crushing them. Most of our starters were then on the bench, except for my man, Steve Nash. He was in there to kind of salt the game away. And the ball comes in and Steve Mash just begins to dribble the ball up the court like he had done hundreds of times before when from out of nowhere, the San Antonio Spur, Robert, image bearer of God, Ori. I say image bearer of God because if I give you the real adjective, I think in my heart it's not fit for the house of the Lord. So he bears God's image. He matters to God. I'm trying to help him matter to me. But here comes Robert Ori from out of nowhere. And he hip checks Steve Nash straight into the scorer's table, knocks him off the court. He flies about two feet in the air and slams into the, the scorer's bench right there. Every player on the court comes rushing over and a little scuffle begins to unfold. And because we were crushing the Spurs, 
Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw, two of our greatest players, were on the bench. And they stand to their feet and they begin to make their way over to Steve Nash to make sure that their, their soldier in arms is okay. And in so doing, they happen to take two fateful steps across an imaginary line that places them now on the court. And the letter of the law states, any player sets foot on the court during an altercation is immediately fined $50,000 and suspended for one game. And so all of a sudden, though there was no intent for them to get into an altercation, they were simply checking on their friend. A debate raged. Would Commissioner Stern rule by the letter of the law, which clearly stated, you step across the line, you are out, or the spirit of the law? The law was written, remember this is after the malice in the palace where all the fans started throwing things and they went into the crowd and the, and the bulls and the Knicks and everyone, they were all fighting on the court and so Commissioner Stern said, look, we gotta put an end to that. So here's the rule. You come on the court to, to get involved in the altercation you are immediately suspended. Spirit of the law, engaging in the, in the conflict. Letter of the law, just stepping across the line. And so for 24 hours, every, every sports outlet, every ESPN show, Stephen A. Smith was all over the place. I mean, every, every Suns fan in the state and in the country waited on bated breath to hear if Commissioner Stern would rule by the letter or by the spirit. Either way, he would be right. If he came down heavy-handed and said, you crossed the line, therefore you are out, no one could really argue they did. But if he, argued, if he ruled by the spirit of the law and said, look, I know they just they stepped across, but they didn't, weren't trying to get into any altercation. It was not their intent, so I'm going to extend grace. He would have been right too. Well, no, he ruled by the letter of the law, suspended our guys, and we ended up losing the series, I believe, as a result of that, because conspiracy theory abounds. They got it out for the Suns, but that's all right. <laughs> we still chase our first championship, and when we get it, it is going to be sweet. Uh, but at the time, that's what happened. So today, as we lean into maybe a, a commandment that we have heard, certainly we heard it recited here. You guys have all read it before, not to take the Lord's name in vain. I do think there's a letter of the law issue. Certainly different than maybe how we would view it. I think we could all understand that to damn anyone or anything in the name of God is crossing a line. That may be a very literal sense, but I think there's a lot more to it. And so as we lean into the letter of the law, but then also the spirit of the law, my hope is that God would grab our hearts. Maybe some of our theology begins to adjust, but certainly in how we respond to who God is might be shifted a little bit. And so that's where we're gonna go today as we lean into this third commandment. So let me pray for us, and then we will spend the rest of our time in God's word. Let me pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. God, I thank you for the gift that it is, that it has been and continues to be for my life. God, I pray, not only as we heard last week from Jamie, but God, certainly as we spend time in your word, God, that we would define who you are by the letters you have given us. God, we define ourselves by the words that you've put into print for us to study and to read each and every day. God, that we would lean into your truth, that we would stand on your truth, that we would defend your truth. And God, that we would live lives in such a way that bring glory and honor to you and to you only. So God, meet us in that place. God, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would fill every venue that is represented right now and that you would move in our hearts in a way that only you can. And as always, God, we will thank you for whatever you choose to do and however you choose to move. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So let's, let's go to our text. It's found in Exodus chapter 20. Some of you guys are familiar with the, the location of the Ten Commandments here. And it says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do not take the name of the Lord or Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. There's our commandment. There's our text. There's our charge from God Almighty to his people. You want to live a life different, set apart from the rest of the world? Don't take my name in vain. So what does this word vain mean? We've got to unpack that a little bit. Here's, here's the technical definition of the word vain used here. Vain is anything worthless, futile, or inconsequential. Worthless, futile, or inconsequential. Do not invoke the name of God into anything that is worthless, futile, or inconsequential. Anything meaningless should not have the name of God attached to it. Here's the letter of the law. This is what the letter of the law would have meant to the people of Israel when they heard it. The letter of the law says this. Do not make a vow in the name of Yahweh and fail to keep it. That's the most literal sense of this commandment has nothing to do with, with the way in which we tend to use God's, as the spirit of the law does, but when it comes to the actual literal letter of the law, it was much more about vow keeping than anything else. God would double down on this in, in Leviticus 19 where he would say this, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Don't make a vow in the name of God and then fail to keep it. Why was this such a big deal? Well, because what they, what they understood and what I think sometimes we've drifted from is that when you invoke the name of God into a promise you keep, you are putting the nature, the character, and the, and the credibility of God on display and if you follow through with said vow. And so to make a vow in the name of God and then not keep it actually to the people of Israel would cause others to call into question the very existence of God, the reliability of God. So when God says, look, don't take my name in vain, he says, don't make a vow in my name and then fail to keep it. I'll paraphrase one commentator who said it this way. He said, to Israel, Yahweh is the one living reality. To make a vow in his name and not keep it is to call into question the very existence of God. So all of these people that would say, oh, I, I, I swear by God Almighty, if you failed to keep it, all of a sudden people will go, well, who is this God Almighty? Maybe he's not real, he doesn't exist if you're not willing to keep the vow. So here's the first question we have to wrestle with here and now. When it comes to the vows we've made, are we keeping them? Are we keeping them? Let me, let me swing a... a, a a heavy but hopefully landing soft hammer, certainly to the wedding vows that we take. I meet with couples. I'm meeting with two couples right now. They're in premarital counseling. And they come in and everything's rainbows and unicorns for them, right? They're madly in love and everything's gonna be, oh, this is so great. And you know what they wanna talk about? They talk about you know, their pretty wedding dress and the caterer they have and how awesome their DJ's gonna be and their, their color arrangement. And I go, look, guys, all of that's awesome. Celebrate all of that. Let this be a fun, special day for you. But well, make no mistake about it, the most single most important moment of your wedding day is the moment that you stand before God Almighty and look your future spouse in the eye and you make a vow that they will be the one in sickness and in health, richer or for poorer, better or for worse, till death do you part. 
That's the vow you are making. And you're not making it to me because I, I have no authority, but you're making it before God. Don't for a second think that God doesn't take that vow seriously. Don't think for a second that you can take the Lord's name in vain and not be held guiltless if you trash those vows. It's the same reason why some of you have come to us and said, hey, look, I'm looking to get remarried. And our first question to you is, you need to reconcile. Our first commandment to you is, you need to reconcile with your spouse, your your ex, whoever they are. Because that's the vow you made, and that's what God would call you to. And if there's an opportunity for that, at least most of the pastors here at this church, the ones that I know, are going to push you towards that. Not because we want to to enforce some heavy-handed policy, but because as Jamie shared last week, the word of God is our guiding source of truth. Not culture, not opinion, not even individual's happiness, but the word of God. And if you made a vow to somebody else till death do you part, and the opportunity is there to reconcile, we're gonna encourage you to reconcile to your spouse. Because that's what God calls us to. Don't take his name in vain. Don't make a vow you're not willing to keep if you invoke the name of God into it. Don't take that as heavy-handed. Just take that as the seriousness that it is. And so for all of you in a marital relationship, when times are tough and times get tough, I, Brooke will come up here. Well, she won't come up here. She'd be terrified. But I will tell you on her behalf, there are tough times. And there are times that we have to lean into the Lord and go, you know what? God, I love you, and I'm trying my best to love her or she's trying to love me, but it's difficult right now. But God, we're going to maintain our vows because we know that we'll be held accountable to that and because they're the vows we made to each other before you. And sometimes the brevity of that moment can give us a newfound perspective on what we're currently going through. Don't take it lightly. Don't take any vow lightly. If you bear the name Christian, little Christ, Christ follower, and the world knows that, don't think for a second they're not watching us and and, and wanna know, are you a person of your word? Are you a man or a woman of integrity? Any of you that own a business and you put that little Christian fish on there, just know that you are now invoking the name of God on how you interact with your customers. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Be a man or woman of your word. Jesus would double down on this in Matthew chapter five, his Sermon on the Mount, where he would write and he says, again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall all or but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Double down on Leviticus, certainly tying in our passage in Exodus. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Only let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. He's refuting Jewish culture where they were swearing by all these other things to to up the significance of what they were saying because their words meant nothing. So this is any time that someone is telling you a story that you believe is a little bit fabricated and you go, are you serious? They don't believe you. They don't trust you. Your integrity is compromised a little bit. Now you've got an opportunity and I would caution you on this opportunity because I hear it said often, oh, I swear to God that it's true. You've now invoked the name of the Lord on something that if we're honest, maybe it's futile, maybe it's inconsequential, maybe it's worthless, Be careful how you invoke the name of the Lord. To invoke the name of the Lord brings all of his character and nature into whatever it is you're representing. So just be cautious. Think about what we say and the vows that we keep. 
I'm gonna quote J.I. Packer in just a little bit. You've heard Jamie quote J.I. Packer a bunch. I wanna encourage all of you. If you're interested in these 10 commandments and a deeper understanding of it, uh, J.I. Packer is a great theologian uh, and he wrote a book and it's, uh, most of the time when Jamie goes, Kevin, you should look at this book. It's as thick as a giant $800 steak. This one is, is, is like uh, Denny's steak, man. It's super, super skinny and easy to read. <laughs> And so uh, I would encourage you, if, if you want, to follow along and kind of see some of the, the thought process that's influencing a lot of where we are going. Jamie Packer's got a great book. It's green. It's like 11 bucks on Amazon. I ordered it the other day. He makes a great statement. And here's the statement Jay Packer makes. He says, the godly man will make promises cautiously, but keep them consistently. Once they are made, knowing that irresponsibility and unreliability here are a great and grievous sin. When you make a promise, when you make a vow to your kids, to your spouse, to your employees, to your employer, to your neighbor, to your friend, to your golfing companion, can we keep our word? Because whether you invoke the name of God out loud, we certainly bear God's image as created beings, but certainly as Christians, little Christs, the world is watching. And are we putting Christ on display? Are we bringing glory to God and that we are keepers of our word? Make promises cautiously. Keep them consistently. Because to fail to do so might just be more of a grievous and dangerous sin than we tend to realize. And so the letter of the law, certainly in this one, is be a man or woman of your word. Keep your vow. Keep your vow. But the spirit of the law, much like Commissioner Stern, there was a spirit of the law and a letter of the law. The spirit of the law is really this. And this is maybe the one that we're a little more familiar with where we'll spend some of our time here. He says, do not invoke the name of Yahweh in any way that is, and here's our definition of vain, worthless, futile, or inconsequential. Don't invoke the name of Yahweh in any way that is worthless, futile, and inconsequential. I don't get a chance very often, but every now and then I play golf with different individuals throughout our great state. And I'm blown away at how uh, apparently Jesus Christ cares about a bad chip shot or that God is in involved in a, in a lipped out putt. Uh, we throw the name of God around so flippantly sometimes. And I think we forget who he is and the reverence that his name deserves. The, the Jews, early Israel got this. We've drifted from it a little bit. So much so that we don't even say his name sometimes. We just OMG it. Invoking his name into something. We haven't even put his name to it, but we know what it means. And we bring him into some things that maybe if we're honest, might be a little more worthless, futile, and inconsequential than maybe we care to realize. And so let's lean into this. First, let's get a perspective. Let's get a perspective of, of Yahweh and what it means and why this name is so important. For the early Jews, here's, here's what it meant. Yahweh, the, the name Yahweh was uttered once a year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. To say it any other time was un, unthinkable. It held such reverence and revere that, that the high priest would utter it one time a year when he would call upon Yahweh in the atoning work for the people of Israel. Reverence for the name. Moses, you guys know the story of Moses. Moses was God's guys leading the people out of, out of Egypt and Moses would meet with God in this tent. Smoke would come over it and all the people of Israel would stay far away. Moses would walk in, he would meet with God and he would come out and his face would glow. 
So much so that the, the people of Israel are like, dude, we can't even look at you. Your face is on fire. So we have to put a veil over his face. Because he interacted with God, it caused some sort of physical reaction to his appearance, and the people revered God. Same guy, Moses, at the end was like, God, can I just see you? Can I see you? Can I see your face and your glory? God says, Moses, here's what I can do for you. You hide in that cave over there. I'm going to put my hand over it, and I'm going to pass by you. And when I get a far enough distance away, I'll remove my hand. You can see my back from a distance, but if you saw my face, you would die. No man can see me and live. That's who God is. If you saw his face, you know, so I go back, that kid that was like, peel back the sky, I want to see God's face. You realize if you did that, it would just be, we would all be done? That's who God is. He's that God. Do we have a reverence for him? Do we remember that guy? Some of you guys read through Immerse. I don't know. You got there. I mean, look at what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Wiped these huge cities out with fire from the sky, so much so that it was talked about for generations and generations where people would go, hey, don't do that because you might get Sodom and Gomorrah, man. It's bad news. A reverence, a fear of the Lord was a part of their culture. Have we drifted? We have a reverence for the Lord. Matthew, if you've read through the book of Matthew, it's a, it's a gospel account. Matthew's primary audience is the Jews. He's writing to the Jews, trying to help Jewish people understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so over and over and over again, if you read through it, certainly as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll hear him say, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, what do I have up here? 32 times the kingdom of heaven. Other, other gospels will say the kingdom of God. But Matthew didn't want to invoke the name Yahweh in his gospel because he knew his Jewish audience, if they heard it too much, would write it off as irreverent, possibly, possibly blasphemous. So he changes his verbiage to the kingdom of heaven because he held the name Yahweh in such high regard, the name God in such high regard. Jesus, and the Jews, they're trying to kill Jesus. If you remember John's account and they're, they're questioning him and Jesus says, look, before Abraham was, I am. And immediately what do the Jews do? grab their cloaks and they rip them because they know what he just did. He just invoked the name of God into who he was. And the response was blasphemous. They didn't understand who Jesus really was, but he invoked the name of God and to them that was unheard of. So just go back. Just go back and rethink the last two weeks of our lives. How many times do we hear the name of Yahweh thrown out? Jesus Christ thrown out. Things or people damned in the name of God out of frustration or anger or just flippant speech? Do we have a reverence for who God is? When we think of the name Yahweh, does it strike a little bit of fear and reverence in us? Or has it just become OMG? And off it goes. Now, I, I, I will rue the day that I ever become a behavioralist. I could care less about behavior. I, I'm, I believe Jesus is all about the heart. So before you decide, like you, we did in junior high, put a rubber band around your wrist, and every time you say a naughty word, snap it so you stop. I, I could care less about your behavior. Let's get to the heart. Why? Why have, have, has the name God maybe become so irreverent for us? Or why have we drifted so far from this reverent understanding of who God is while leaning into the grace of who God is? What's gone Wrong. We're going to unpack really what I think are, are, are two theolo theological systems, or at least, as Jamie shared last week, ways in which we as fallen human beings can interpret and create our own picture of who God is. And as soon as we do that, we are in trouble. 
And Satan rubs his scaly little hands together and goes, perfect, can you hold on to that image and stay away from the image that's written in God's word? So let's lean into him. You figure out if you tip one way or the other and maybe if there's an opportunity to recorrect and find a proper perspective that will then maybe clean up our vows and our language and all this other stuff, behavior that is for another time. So here's the first one. If we tip too heavy on grace and we forget the holiness of who God is, here are some of the ramifications, though not all. We begin to lack a fear of the Lord And certainly if you've read Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To have a righteous, reverent respect for God is important. As soon as we forget who he is and we minimize him or he becomes a great big Santa Claus in the sky or a big teddy bear for us to hold on to, we've lost a little something. The majesty and awe of who Yahweh is is compromised and all of a sudden we can end up with a pretty bad theology or at least an understanding of who God is when grace wins out. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If you, had to, if you had to tell me, look, you, you, can, you can preach one message and then God's taking me home, it would be a message on God's grace because I think we misunderstand it often. But the grace of God needs to be balanced with the holiness and reverence for who God is. Don't forget who we serve. You realize as you read through the Old Testament and God would encounter people that people would fall on their face and cry like five-year-old little girls in a thunderstorm because they were terrified of God. They had a fear of him. Pharaoh, ruler of Egypt. I mean, this guy was the, the biggest deal. He thought he was awesome. Had everyone worship him. Is crying like a little five-year-old at a thunderstorm God throws because he's so terrified of God and his wrath. Reverent fear for the Lord even in a pagan like Pharaoh? Do we have a reverence for God? Or if we tip so far on the side of grace, God's a great big teddy bear. Oh, God's always gonna love me. He'll always forgive me. Absolutely true. But if we abuse God's grace, if we run around and live a life where we go, eh, God's my, my great big Santa Claus in the sky. He's got me. I think we've missed it. I think our theology gets a little bit off. I'll tell you a very brief story of this happened in my own life. Uh, I was a junior in high school. I did dumb things in high school, but we, were all, we all did dumb things in high school. If I brought you up here, you could tell me some dumb things. I'll tell you another one of my dumb things, okay? Uh, I was taking algebra. As a junior in high school, I had algebra class. My algebra teacher got sick like day five of school. I don't know what happened to him, but he was out. So they brought in a temporary, but ended up being our permanent substitute for the entire year. His name was Mr. Wise. Mr. Wise was about 24 years old, maybe. Young guy which was fun for us because it was like, dude, you're almost our age. This is great. We can hang out. We talked talk college football. We talked NFL stuff. We would joke around. Like Mr. Wise and, and, and me and a couple of my friends got really close. We'd see each other. Hey, Mr. Wise, what's going on? What are you doing this weekend? And we would just talk life. The day came where I was in my Spanish class and a, a little kid came in and goes, hey, here's a note. And the teacher goes, Kevin, you need to go see Mr. Wise. Hands me the note. And so I began to make my way to Mr. Wise's classroom. He's teaching another class. I come in, I kick open the door. Mr. Wise, what's up? Everyone stops and turns. And he looks and goes, Kevin, what are you doing? I go, hey, you gave me this note. I'm here to see you. What do you got for me, guy? He goes, Kevin, I'll be with you in a minute. And I go, oh, Mr. Wise, come on. Don't be a fool. I got to get back to Spanish class. Don't be a fool is the one that got me in trouble. Mr. Wise says, Kevin, I'll step out. And he stopped his class, stepped outside, and he began to explain to me 
Somewhere along the way, Kevin, I think you've gotten lost in my role. I'm your friend, yeah, I care for you. You're a good kid. But I'm also your authority. You can't call me a fool in front of everyone else and not think that there's not gonna come some repercussions. You've lost sight of who I am. You've tipped too far. You think I'm too much of your buddy and not your teacher still. I lost sight of that balance. Let's not let that be said of us with our father. We need to revere him. We need to understand that the God of the Old Testament still the same God we serve today in all of the good, but also, also in his righteous wrath. He's a jealous God. We looked at that last week, right? There is some nature to God that demands us reverence and respect. And if we lose that, I think we're in danger of some bad theology. Now, the flip side of that, let's go to the next one, is this. If you tip too far to holiness and revere God and you lose sight of God's grace, we are in trouble. Fear of the Lord takes precedence over our intimacy with our heavenly father. This is for all of us that picture God as some scowling dictator in the sky that wants to smite us every time we screw up. For all of us that maybe came from a, a different uh, denomination where, where rules were heavily enforced and you do by obedience and duty, not out of joy and love and intimacy with the Father, we lose sight of his grace and his holiness wins out and we live a life in fear of God constantly. Cannot embrace his grace we read Romans 8, and it is like a mystery to us. Don't lose sight of our intimacy. Shame and guilt live here also. Forgiveness is often hard to find. Any one of us that define ourselves as a failure in the sight of the Lord based on what we do or did not do, again, Satan wins. Our theology is bad. I've got a dear friend up at Northridge that wrestles with this all the time. Did I do enough? I feel like if I think this way or if I do these things or when I fail God this way, then God no longer loves me. I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know if I'm his kid. I think I'm going to hell. Can we all agree on your greatest day, the day that you wake up at 5 a.m. and spend 12 hours reading God's word and then lead 80 people to the Lord and give all of your money to the church and do whatever it is you fathom as the greatest things to do for God. At the end of that day, when you put your head on your pillow and you ask, God, did I do enough today to please you? The answer is always no. We can't. That's why we need Jesus. That's why the cross is so important. Because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And all we can do at the end of our best day or our worst day is fall on our knees at the feet of the cross, cry out to God and say, would you forgive me? And then wrap our arms around Jesus Christ and hold on with all that we've got and begin to live in this intimate relationship with the Father who does love us and does forgive us. But if we tip too heavy on the fear of the Lord and the reverence of God and we forget God's grace, I think we lose out on the joy of being God's kid. So you gotta find a balance. It's our last one. Here's our third one here. Find a perfect balance between grace and holiness. And this tips, we gotta walk this like a seesaw all the time. Fear of the Lord. Can we fear the Lord and live in his love and his forgiveness? Both. Can we live in this space? Can we live in the conviction that leads to repentance? Go read 2 Corinthians 7.10. Can we live in the conviction that leads to repentance? and restoration with our heavenly father. This is the full weight. God, I know that I screwed up. Read 1 John 1. God, confess your sins. God, I, for, I confess my sins before you and then he is faithful and just to forgive us and to restore us. Can we find that balance? Not, eh, God doesn't care. No, he cares. 
but he doesn't care so much that he's unwilling to forgive. Can we find that sweet spot and go, God, here I am. Here's what I've done. I need you for everything. And can we grab onto Jesus? You begin to live in that space. I think we got a better theology. Guilt and shame are left at the foot of the cross and freedom in Christ abounds. Yet read Galatians. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for sin, says Paul to the Galatian church. Don't take this too far and tip back too heavy on grace and forget the reverence and respect that God deserves. We can find ourselves in a spot like this, in a perfect balance, understanding his grace, but also who he is and what he demands of us as his kids to put him on display every opportunity we get. Maybe the words that come out of our mouth, maybe the way in which we invoke God's name, Yahweh, becomes a little less futile, a little less inconsequential, a little less worthless, and we'll begin to use his name to bring him glory and honor the way he always intended it, and less about our own agenda. That's what we're looking at here. Letter of the law, keep your vow, spirit of the law, Revere the name of the Lord. Don't, don't attach it to anything worthless or futile. So what do we do? I, I always think, okay, as, eh, what, so what? Here, here's the so what. I'm gonna go 1990s on you here. I'm gonna give you three W's. So what's the vein? Worthless, futile, inconsequential ways in which we tend to use Yahweh today. I could have put a slash here. It's both word. Do we keep our word? Or have we taken it in vain? But also the words that we use. Think about it. We've walked through some of them already. How do you use the name of God in the world out there? How are you putting Jesus Christ on display in the way that you relate to others? Again, bad chip shot, not quite worthy of the name of God Almighty. So just be cautious. Be cautious in how we represent ourselves. Because whether we want it or not, Certainly the lost world is looking and going, if that's what a Christian is like, and they're leaning in and they're watching our lives, are we representing Christ in a God-honoring way in the way that we use our words? Second thing is, is certainly around this idea of wonder and the way in which we, we, we all in, are in awe of things around us. I have a very dear friend. We were out the other day for lunch. We ordered a meal. They ordered something healthy. I ordered something good. And... Uh, <laughs> They brought, it, they brought the food to the table. My friend's response was, wow, Kevin, that looks awesome. And in my head, I thought, it's because what you ordered is healthy and gross. Uh, but I began to think, really? A plate of food is awesome? Now, I don't want to get into a semantical thing, and I'm not enforcing petty rules. Don't, don't hear any of that. All I want to do is make sure that we understand there, God is awesome. God demands awe and respect. Poor Isaiah shows up in the encounter with God and falls on his knees. Whoa, am I? I'm a man of unclean lips. Prophet Isaiah, in the presence of God, goes, I am worthless in comparison to the greatness and awesomeness of God. Don't forget where we should place our awe and our wonder. On God's beauty and his creation, absolutely. Absolutely but maybe not on some of the things that we tend to invoke awestruckness over. Don't forget who God is and who we are. But then here's the last one, and this is, this is why we decided to backload worship today. It's around this idea of worship. I will admit, and I'm not gonna speak for any of you, because I'm not any of you, nor would any of you want that. I'll speak for myself. There are many Sundays where I come into church, and it's 8 a.m., 9.45, 11.30, and my head is still out there. 
for me, this being my job, oftentimes I'm looking around going, oh, I need to talk to so-and-so. Oh, I wonder if I ever got followed up with. And my head is all over the place. And the songs are going on, and I am singing words that are on the screen, but my head and my heart are not in it. Maybe I'm still thinking about a conversation Brooke and I had the night before. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit there are times, certainly not today, knowing I'm giving this, but there are times where I'm going, oh, man, did I get my fancy football team set? I think London and New York, they they played early today, right? Oh, shoot. Uh, And my head is in a 100 different places other than in the throne room of God, worshiping him through song. And I've told you before, music, not my jam. Music is an excuse to not hear my breathing when I'm exercising. Other than that, I don't listen to it much. (laughs) And so one of the things that has helped me the most is the words on the screen during worship. Because I can sing the songs and, and whatever, but man, I look at those words and the theology is so rich and deep in many of the songs that we sing here that it just grabs my heart. And in those moments when I can get rid of all the distractions and I can just be present with God and I can look at the words and I can think about who God is and who I am to him, then I am truly worshiping. But I think we, and I will say we as a church, I think we assume a lot. Typical Sunday, you guys all gather in this place or one of the other venues. And the first thing, hey, welcome to Scottsdale Bible Church. Stand with us and worship. And we expect you to go from the parking lot, getting the kids ready, getting all of life out there into now we're in the throne room of God in an instant. And I think that's a big ask. So all I'm asking for today is in just a moment, we're gonna worship God. And maybe today we can dismiss all of what's out there and we can just be present as God's sons and as God's daughters and not sing a song and take the Lord's name in vain because our head and our heart are not in it, but we can be present in the moment with God. And if you find yourself, here are the metrics, if you find yourself drifting towards what you're gonna have at Butterfields in a little bit, we've lost you. And vanity of the name of God is in play. If you find yourself going, why aren't they doing more hymns? Why is this a contemporary song? Why aren't they doing more contemporary songs? Why isn't the choir up here? Where is the orchestra? Where are the guitar? And we become critical of what's taking place instead of fixing our eyes on who it is we are worshiping. Again, Satan has won. Vanity of the name of the Lord is in play. And I think we're in danger of one of God's 10 commandments. And so at least for today, my hope and prayer is every moment we set foot in any place of worship that we could walk in and we could say, God, this is your time Everything else waits me out there, but for this moment, I'm here with you. And you can just picture yourself surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ at the throne room of God, at the feet of Jesus, declaring who he is, how awesome he is, and and who you are to him. And we can worship God, not from a place of, of vain, going through the routine, but a genuine sense of worship. That's my hope, that's my prayer for today. So here's all I wanna do. I'm gonna give us about 30 seconds just to be quiet before the Lord. If there's anything you need to lay at his feet, anything you need to give to him to confess and let go of, if there's anything that you just need to go, God, I'm gonna think about this now for the next 30 seconds, but then I don't wanna think about it until this service is over because I just wanna worship you. I just wanna be in your presence. That's what we're gonna do. I will pray for us, and then we're gonna end our time here and our other venues in a time of worship. So would you join me as we, as we pray? I'll give you some time with the Lord first, and then I'll pray for us. And then we'll worship God together at his feet.
God, we come to you as those that bear your image. And God, yet fallen and broken by our own sinfulness. And yet, God, for those of us that have placed our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, God, we are your beloved children. We are forgiven. Your grace covers us. God, we take it for granted far too often. But God, for this moment right now, I pray that we would embrace it for all that it is. God, that we as a united family together would worship you, would cry out to you who you are to us, how much we love and adore you, how grateful we are for all that we have in you. God, I pray you would remove any distraction from our minds and at least for these next 15, 20, 25 minutes, God, let us be present with you. Let your spirit speak to our heart. God, lead us as we cry out to you the things that we love and adore about you. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.